Hello, and welcome to Relative Pitch, a podcast about music, culture, and society from a young perspective. Our initiative is to bring fresh new ideas to the music field. Here are your hosts, Lauren Green, Anthony Morris, and Michael Brown. So what do you guys think about the the COVID relief bill, the package and everything that's been coming out and the vaccine, you know, vaccinations? I think, Anthony, just are you, have you gotten yours yet or are you about to get yours? I get mine literally the day that this episode comes out, I will be getting it. So, all right, the first dose. Um, let's, let me just break something down um, about teachers in Florida. So um, teachers in Florida, the governor has rules and then the federal government has rules. Um, in Florida, the governor has only allowed teachers 50 and above to get it. And honestly, like, I understand, like, I get it, but like, the teacher force is, there's a lot of us who are under the age of 50. And so luckily, the, uh, the federal government guideline says that any teacher can get it. Um, so those places like Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, Publix, um, Sam's, they are following the federal government um, guidelines. So I was lucky to get an appointment at Walgreens. So I will be getting finally my first dose of vaccination. And like, it's funny because all of my family is vaccinated except for me. So I'm the last one. It's crazy. Yeah, my mom's, uh, my mom just got hers as well. Michael, have you gotten yours out in Michigan yet? No, and I wanna tell you why I am upset, okay? Uh -oh. I live in Kalamazoo, Michigan. The Pfizer plant, which Joe Biden came to, is 20 minutes one way of either left, right, south, up, northwest, town. I don't know. I'm upset. I'm, I'm really pressed. I want to do a, can you just go walk up? Oh, yeah, and get shot? <laughs> well, that's what you're trying to do, do, right? Get the shot? Oh, yeah! Uh, I'm going to get met with like 30 bullets with it, but yeah. I'm pretty sure that's a federal building. And they yeah, can maybe. literally give me my dang shot. Maybe also, we'll I'm happy about the stimulus because the United States of America finally accept that adult dependents need money too, and not just the people under 17. Why you need money when you're under 17? Like, yes, but like how they wouldn't think that dependents, even if you were in school in college, wouldn't need. I'm like, you know, some people are claimed by their parents who are they don't not are they're not by their parents yeah no it's a, it was a whole mess but thankfully now we're getting our money you know it's amazing also um for people who are kind of in the boat that i am where you were dependent but you have a job now and you're filing your own taxes just know when you file your taxes uh there is a section that says did you get the past stimulus uh checks girl collect your money collect your money right then and there. So if you were in that boat, make sure you get your money when you file your taxes. And guess what? That's an extra bonus on whatever your tax return be. I'm pretty sure Walmart gonna have some upcoming sales very soon. And every, every other store is gonna have some sales. So just collect your money. The Michael Foundation is always accepting awards. Uh, no, what, but I mean, I wanna really ask, what do you think about Texas choosing to reopen at this point. Do you think, I mean, we're like, well, people are getting vaccinated, you know, the rates are maybe, you know, it's going down, you know, not too many positive tests. Like, 
What do you feel about it? Do you think it's premature? Do you think it makes sense? I mean, multiple states before now have already lifted a mask ban. Like Texas is the first one to go 100% open, open, but people have already lifted a mask ban. But like, I think there's two or three states before Texas. So, I mean, that's just where people want to go. And I understand that small businesses are suffering and other people are suffering, but we're all suffering. And if we don't like just do the right thing, it's going to stay here in different forms of just not just the COVID we have now. It could mutate like everything else is mutated. Yeah, I, I think that I believe it is a little too premature. We still in the whole Ponderosa. Um, and just as <laughs> Panini, Ponderosa, Panoramic, we are still in it. And I think I'm so glad people are getting the vaccine. I just think if, if the governor would have waited a couple more months first, and especially a big state like Texas, but I, I would also have to, we have to realize that Texas is also a big, uh, more conservative state. And as factual things, more conservative people really haven't caught on the fact of we're in a whole, you know, uh, uh, panini, okay? And so, and, and that is, so I, I get exactly why he did it because he was speaking for the people and I'm pretty sure those people said it. I mean, down here in Florida, I promise you, like we have conversation and I'm just like, everybody over here chilling. Like everybody's out in the streets at Disney World, at Universal, mm -hmm. uh, everybody is out. And I've been teaching uh, every single day since August while some people have been seeing their kids since March, a year ago now. Um, and so down here in Florida, it's been completely different than the rest of the world. And I, I sometimes I have to remember that just because I live in Florida, crazy Florida, it is not that way everywhere. But I still do feel like it's a little bit premature. I have a question for y'all. This is kind of off topic, but still on topic. Do y'all be watching movies and TV shows and they're not wearing masks and you're like, uh-uh, we in COVID, but it's literally yeah, it's, not COVID. It's like a PTSD like, type of thing. It really it is, is like a PTSD. Because like, I was watching this show, people are hugging up each other, kissing each other. And I'm like, uh, but stop. What you, what you do? You know, it's, it's the club like party scenes for me that really make my skin uh, crawl. Can we, top I, of each other. Look, can we talk about it? Uh, can we just talk about it real quick? All-Star Weekend in Atlanta. Like, what? ATL. Did they ain't got their tires no more either. Did nobody have masks? Nobody had any type of like I was gonna say protection, but they didn't have that either. But they didn't have tires uh, either, apparently. And people are driving up to Atlanta and U-Hauls, staying in U-Hauls all night, and then when the weekend was over, starting GoFundMe talking about I need money to get back to where I live. We oh are in. A whole, I, Jesus, y'all, we are in a whole pandemic, okay? That is the real word, pandemic, okay? And y'all are out here just partying, busting it wide open, and we have a Pan Am. I'm sick. I'm sick. <laughs> I, love the, I love the name that we can't, like Paloma, Pacific. Paloma, a Pan Am. I love you know, Pan reminds me very of Hunger Games. <laughs> you are in Hunger Games right now. Oh my gosh. And if we're not in Hunger Games, because if we were Hunger Games, I'll be winning. 
because I'm a big old man to be pushing around these little folk. You, you were probably in District 12. I don't, what district is that? Oh, wait, okay. maybe District 11. Which one is that? Whichever one Katniss was working and had the little loaf of bread. That's the oh, I think I'm pretty sure that was 12, right? That, I'm pretty sure that was 12. I have no the idea. District 13 was the, the lost one. Right. Oh, you're right, you're right. But talking well, about Hunger Games, doesn't that go right into some of Wagner? I mean, honestly, the way that Wagner is, it just seems kind of um, not utopic. I feel like that's too positive. But what's like, it's like post-society, post-moral. A whole fantasy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just immoral fantasy. Like Westworld, but like worst um, <laughs> and old. Um, so, Michael, what was your uh, what was your chapter this week? Um, so, as it reads, my chapter was chapter eleven: Ring of Power, Revolution, and Russia. The reason I chose this chapter this week is because I love Russia, love their way of playing. We like it; it's always on the top. We going, we going all the way. But it was a nice little read. I enjoyed it, and I got some stuff from it. So in 1883, that was the year of Wagner's death. He finally died. Dead. Dornell. Um, and William Archer, who is a critic, notices George Bernard Shaw at the British Library with a French edition of Das Kapital, which is something Marx read earlier that year or later a couple of years before and a score of Tristan and Isolde. I thought this was a little weird, a little suspicious, but we shall continue. George Shaw was a staunch leftist who saw no conflict between Wagner's romantic mythology and Marx's historical materialism. Crazy. This ideology had to have raised eyebrows in 1883, but seems even more surprising now given Hitler's ideas and plans that we now know and now realize. So what like threw me off so much is we associate Wagner with extreme right, Hitler, all that stuff. And now we're like throwing in some left. So my question to y'all is why do you think both extreme right and left agreed with Wagner and his success in plugging music into their message. I mean, I think everyone at this time understands how, you know, people in those situations like Hitler, you know, would utilize Wagner in his politics. You know, they understood that music and art in general touch, like touches people. And so, you know, Wagner being as decadent as his music is and all, you know, uh, it speaks to a whole group of people with whatever message you want to give to it it can be inspirational um it can be you know like used to put people down i mean it's using whatever capacity that you want it to be used but i think it's versatile and i think that's why people from both sides are able to use wagner and whatever agenda that they may have yeah and i i just to piggyback on that i think every group wants the theme music you know like why would you watch a movie if it doesn't have good theme music it's, it's not the same thing and I think both the left and the right found um 
themselves in the music. And I, and also it's very relative, <laughs> relative to them. So just like when we watch a movie, we see ourselves portrayed in whatever it is, whether it's the good character, the bad character, whatever um, it may be, I think both sides kind of saw themselves in Wagner's music. And it was some, you know, very heroic type of music. And of course, that's their theme music. They want to be strong. They want, to, you know, to have this end goal. Um, and I think Wagner music really spoke to them in that way, in game. Absolutely. I read your lips. I love how you did that. Because when you said in goal, I was like, in game, I am Iron Man. Okay, anyways, so moving on, the young Wagner fascinated the left in large measures because of his emphatic vagueness um, as he dabbled in various ideologies. I can agree with this. Wagner never directly mentioned Marx, but made references to communism throughout his works. Fernando Lasley we're going to go with that, was one of the most committed among Marxist contemporaries to Wagner. He was mesmerized by Wagner so much, he wrote this on page 435. I am still in endless excitement like a foaming sea, and days and weeks will pass before I can concentrate the soul sufficiently undivided upon the arid statistical and economic investigations to which my next period is devoted. He was so mesmerized by the text of Lohengrin, which is, I think, one of Anthony's favorites. Um, here's where it goes left a little bit. <clears throat> ha. Um, even though um, Lasley was very appreciative, very complimentary of the works, Wagner brushed it off because he saw Lasley as a Germanic Judaic going back with the Jew stuff that he he doesn't like Jewish people or the culture and stuff that we referenced in, I think, all the chapters so far. Um, in defiance, and this is where we can get a little bit more background of Lasley. In defiance of Marx, Lasley believed that revolutionaries should engage in parliamentary politics rather than wait for capitalism to collapse. This is going into the more philosophical about what Marx believed and about other contemporaries believed at the time. Um, I just want to give you all a little bit more background. So a party that um, he was very, he influenced a lot was the Social Democratic Workers Party, which is now the modern Social Democrats Party of Germany, which references Wagner's operas and works like Rienzi and Tannhauser a lot and they use them as a useful tool among themselves, even after Wagner brushed him off. So my last question to y'all is why is his music referenced so much even after he was so, Wagner was so dismissive toward him because of his Germanic Judaism? I think there's a level of respect that you can still have for someone even when they disrespect you which is hard to like even say because you know i can't imagine still have like having 
that amount of respect for someone who, you know, truly just doesn't like me because of like who I am. So not like, you know, I said something to offend his mother or anything, but just because I am who I am, that's probably, that's a problem. Um, But I think, you know, they saw past the ugly of Wagner, which there's a lot of ugly of Wagner, and they just look straight to the music. And it's this whole idea of you separate the art from the, from the artist. And in this sense, I think he's saying he can, and obviously he did. Yeah. Um, I, I personally just, I can't because I can't see it. Cause it's just like, this man really don't like you just because of the way you were born, like just flat out. Um, and I also think like people back then, they were really of a forgiving spirits that I think over time we haven't like, does anybody forgive anybody anymore nowadays? Um, so I think of that time, I think it was just everyone kind of forgave each other. And just if you were the racist and you don't like me for being me, okay, I'm gonna forgive you for it. And I'm gonna still use your music. I'm still like you. But it's like, uh uh-uh. You don't like me for who I am. But I mean, I just think, you know, that's just the society of it all from that. I mean, that can even still now be referenced and seen when we put somebody on such a high pedestal and then we go in their closet and find the bones, people are very easy to cover those bones back up and close the closet door again. Especially when they are very high on the pedestal. And it's not just a couple people putting them on the pedestal. It's like a whole firm putting them on a pedestal. Um, And we have seen that recently with Britain's Royal Society. Um, And so we've seen that and how for a very long time, things have just gotten swept under the rug. And it's like, I really believe now is the time where it needs to stop both in every single thing of the world. We need to stop building these people up because just like you, they bleed red. They put put their pants on one leg at a time. That's what my granddad used to tell me every morning. And so some of them can't put their pants on themselves, first of all. Right. And do you really want to be told what to do from a person that can't even put their own underwear on, girl? Come on now. If they wear underwear, we don't know if they're that clean. Right. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> hello. <Yeah. laughs> you know I'm saying hello. Hey. So I that's the only thing I have to say is like just just before you start to worship somebody, you need to know exactly what's going on. Okay. And every single door that they have. Because I promise you, when you go behind that screen, just like Wizard of Oz, when they uncover who is back there. That wasn't a wizard, that was a man. And that's that. But is that is was that all, Michael? That was everything. And now I'm gonna pass it on to my lovely co-host, Anthony Morris, for the next chapter. Wow, thank you. Thank you. Um, I really feel like if, if people are watching TikTok, y'all know those videos where like the news anchor is like, can you follow and like start reading the prompts? That's how I feel, okay? Just want to let everybody in of what I'm thinking of. So I had the pleasure of reading chapter 12, which is entitled Flying Dutchman, which we all know is one of 
uh, Wagner biggest works. And that has uh, kind of been in a lot of uh, uh, more popular things. Like I first heard of Flying Dutchman uh, in SpongeBob when I was like three years old. And so didn't know that, you know, was a whole opera about it. So um, it is entitled that and it's because of um, really three different contemporaries of the early 19, uh, yeah, 1900s. Uh, they really referenced a lot of that. And one of the first people um, that I will talk about is James Joyce, his book, uh, Ulysses, which is about Ulysses and a wandering Jew, which here's my thing, wandering Jew. 19, this book came out, I think, in 1922. Um, and I think we all know Ulysses is just the Roman version of um, Odysseus. And we all read that book or we read the, the story, the Odyssey. Um, and so it tells the story in a more um, 20th century viewpoint. Uh, and it referenced a lot of uh, Wagner's works in it. And that brings me to my next question is, here are contemporary writers that always are referencing Wagner. Do y'all think, like, I know he's big, but do you really think Wagner really knew what was going to happen for himself when he died. Did you think he wanted his, his, his material to keep living on through all of these different mediums? I, I think that Wagner played to what he knew was wanted during the time. And so what I mean by that is if he's seeing that there's a trend of people wanting decadence and just over romanticization and all these you know just escape from reality i think is the main thing and i think that's why especially um you know literary literary uh, people in that field really like hold on to him because um of his you know he doesn't care it's it's just it's all there all it's just reality it's fantasy it's everything you want to put yourself within and so no it doesn't surprise me do i think he knew exactly what like his impact what it was going to be i i don't think anyone could ever fully know that um after they're you know before they do leave you know it's a whole thing of you know the actor you know after someone dies their cds are on sale like crazy their movies are sold out like whenever uh, yeah uh, chadwick boseman whenever he passed away i couldn't find any black panther thing like dvds anywhere on like um on Amazon or it didn't matter um, which is unfortunate it's like why do we have to wait until that person's you know has left us to lift them up um, but no I don't I don't think Wagner knew exactly the impact he was going to have on society post-death I agree with Lauren because I mean he just and I think one part of the reason he's still so referenced and was referenced is because of he just used like mythology and that stuff never dies i mean there's game like video games when i used to game was about mythology i mean we learn about mythology in school it's something it's easily referenced to it's it's not like the bible but is sort of similar to the bibles and their stories like and the and if you go into the next little part after romantic period the maximalate maximization maximalate that period the next one the uh Mahler and strauss uses like 
religion a lot. So it just depends on where you are. And I think he didn't know what he was going to do, but he was like, I'm going to do this because I want to do this. And I think that authenticity of him just wanting to do it and doing it is another reason why I'm still alive. Also, how ironic uh, that Joyce's book is about uh, Ulysses and the Wandering Jew. Like, it is kind of poking a little fun um, at something uh, like Wagner, because we know the only, um, and I think it follows the same stereotype that Wagner really put Jews into this thing, always more less fortunate and all of this. Like, it's very ironic uh, that even at the turn of the century, it's still, there was this still, um, hatred against Jewish people, which we've had that conversation before of like, why? Why is all this hate? Where is this hate coming from? Um, but that was a little bit about Joyce's book. The next book that um, this chapter talks about is called The Wasteland and it is by um, Elliot. Um, and it basically is um, the first half of a two-part essay titled The Story of Tristan and Isolde in Modern Poetry, which basically just, it is a modern storytelling of a good old Wagner story. And I, um, I'm gonna read you just a little poem that was actually word from word from uh, Tristan and Isolde. And the poem is, fresh blows the wind toward the homeland, my Irish child, where do you linger? That literally comes from uh, act one, the opening act of Tristan, and it is quoted directly into Eliot's poetry. And my that brings me to my next question is, here we go on, on, on a whole nother medium. We went from, of course, just reading novel books to now poetry, and Wagner makes an appearance in this as well. Um, do you think that people keep referring to Wagner um, is because he's just bigger than life? Um, and he just kind of transcend that decadence of who he was. It just kind of transcend life. But also, part two of that question, why don't you think any of the music has, why haven't we talked about a lot of musicians who played his music during that early 1900s? I think that uh, any artist, if they're great enough, has the ability to step from their threshold into other realms of art. And so I'm not surprised that Wagner's influencing non-musicians during this period. Definitely. We referenced Sidney Lanier, who was mm -hmm. an American poet. Mm -hmm. um, I think four chapters ago, mm -hmm. you can, I'm sorry if I'm wrong, um, but I mean, it does shows that it's not just like now, in the, in the chapter we're reading, it's not during that time period. It's more than just that. And I just think it's like uh, W.E.B. Du Bois said, Du Bois said, he's like, if you can listen to Wagner and not get anything from it, you're not really listening. You're mm -hmm. not really understanding. Mm -hmm. And so I, I that's true. I think anything you can that's with anything that's like a bible story again like a mythology story you can take whatever you want from it and turn it into your own that's like when we go listen to the symphony orchestras or whatever piece like i might not like to sit and listen to a piece but i'm gonna try to take myself on a journey like Mahler one or three it's not huge for the trumpet so usually i'm not gonna go in there like oh my god i'm gonna hear these excerpts blah 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 so I have to 
actually like listen to the music more than just the part that I want to hear. You know what I mean? So I think it's just taking whatever and turning it into your own journey is another reason he is so often referenced. I think that answered your question. If it didn't, I dropped the mic. That's okay. But it did. Thank you. Um, and the last um, person that we talked about is actually Virginia Woolf, which I remember talking about Virginia Woolf in like, I don't know, some lit class that I took years ago. Um, and so hearing about her, and I always remember her being a heavy feminist author in the early 20th century. Um, and something that I was reading in the book, and um, I'm gonna read for y'all really quickly. Um, and it says, uh, uh, she was golden. She was the golden age of women writers. No fiction has run its course. She says, Vir uh, virility has now become a self-conscious men. That is to say, and now writing only with the male side of their brains. Later, she says, um, and it says, she sounds curiously like Wagner when she says that one must be woman manly or man womanly. That is the androgynous mind. Some marriage of opposites has, has to be consummated. So now I, in the early 20th century, we hear a lot about um, feminism and women authors and, and poets and, and uh, um, uh, uh, musicians, everything like that. And when the part that really tickled me was uh, where it says one must be woman manly or man womanly. I want to hear what, you, when you hear that, what comes to mind when you hear something like that? And then I'll say what I immediately thought about. I mean, the, no matter what, they basically want men to have a part in like feminism is what I'm hearing. You know, they don't want just a woman who's a woman and does woman things womanly. They want, you know, at least a woman who, is manly, which is very interesting. I'm like, what? It, it, it's, I wonder why that's something that they want so bad. But you see a lot in like, I guess, sculptures and everything, you'll have these women who are like actually very like masculine. And it's very interesting as to why they would want that. Um, but overall, it, all it just says is they want, they still find masculine traits superior is all that's really saying to me is that they, that's what's better for them they don't want femininity in any sense of the word even when it's a woman you know can you for me real quick repeat that whole like woman manly manly like repeat that yeah it says um one must be woman manly or man womanly i hearing that I hear that they want people that, or they want somebody who's in touch with both their feminine side and masculine side. Mm -hmm. Like not just a woman who is only in touch with their feminine side or a man only in touch with his masculine side. Mm -hmm. It's like a balancing act almost, mm -hmm. but that's just like what, that's my initial no thinking about it response because it mentions both of them. And back in the day, we always said man, masculine, woman, feminine mm -hmm. and just lately not lately but we've been breaking those like masculine and feminine boundaries lately 
Mm-hmm. So That's actually exactly like where I had um, thought about is that um, I think before this time, every author, musician, painter, it all came from the male ego. It all came from the male point of view. And, I, um, and early in that chapter, it says the male fiction has run its course meaning this only male dominated point of view is done, it, it's over. Um, and so when I when I read that must be woman manly or man womanly, meaning a, a, a woman will have these more manlier, you know, ideals or a man would have a more woman ideals. And so that you see it as more holistically rather than from one side or the other. And it really just speaks to how even somebody who is uh, a feminist as Virginia Woolf kind of found that in Wagner, um, found it in his stuff to be as a motivation. And we talked about feminism in Wagner uh, some chapters ago. And so this is just keeping that same type of theme throughout. Um, and that really kind of sums up my part of um, the book, chapter 12, and it was great. Lauren, what about your chapter? So I, 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 you know, decided to change my approach to this chapter because I think there's more to it than I initially, you know, thought, you know, this chapter, chapter 13 is called Siegfried's death, Nazi Germany, Thomas Mann. Okay. So obviously there's a lot of talk of Thomas Mann, the novelist within this, you know, uh, um, the books that he wrote, um, there are a lot that are talked about within this chapter. Um, and Nazi Germany, we know that it's going to be involving Hitler and Hitler's usage of Wagner and the influence that he's uh, that Wagner had within um, the Nazi regime. You know, Siegfried was kind of thought to be this young hero boy. You know, everyone like is rooting for Siegfried, and, and Siegfried. For those of you who don't know, we may have talked about this earlier. It's the third opera um, within the ring cycle, that Wagner's ring cycle. And um, so Siegfried, it, the character is supposed to be this, again, this young hero boy who everyone's rooting for. He's the moral, he's a tenor. So there you go. That's all you need to know about this is he is the tenor. So he's supposed to win. Um, also, Wagner named his son Siegfried. And so the funny, the really funny thing about this is we were talking about how much reach, how much impact that Wagner had on others. I think a little bit of it was Wagner was almost obsessed with himself <laughs> and his, the, the things that he did in his life, the things that he contributed to his works and everything about him was his art. And that made, I mean, it makes sense. I think that's why it, I don't know, it's so potent and everything that he touched around him, it was this over-decadence, this over-exaggeration of everything that he did. And, you know, um, first of all, one of the things I want to talk about, I just want to go straight to Hitler, because this is what this is all going to link to at the end. Um, so within this, there's a, there's a talk of single bullet theory within this chapter, which is the one, this is the one bullet that did, did it that killed whoever, whatever, right? So basically it was a discussion and the idea that there was a single bullet that caused Hitler to be Hitler, to be to do what he did. Now, 
is this really something we can agree that there was one incident that caused it? Or would you rather say it was an, a, a slew of events, incidents, lifestyle things that happened? And then there was maybe one, a change of the, you know, flip of the century or a change, you know, whenever things happen within wars, it's not like someone just immediately wins. It's something that happens and then it goes to, okay, now this side is for sure going to win. So what do you think about the single bullet theory and things that you've seen in general? Is it usually just one thing that causes something like this, especially of this caliber? This isn't like you getting a car or like a dog or, you know, getting a plant. This is like the Holocaust. I don't think we can say that there was one thing that caused the Holocaust. But what are your what are your thoughts on this? Um, I, I think that everything, especially things like this, it is not just one single bullet that does it. But I, I will say it's a play on words. It's definitely a play on words because I think you could, there's so many things that leads up to it and that one single bullet finally pushes it over. Um, and so like, the, uh, take like a, a piece of glass. So a piece of glass, a strong, thick piece of glass once you have hit the glass enough, you've now weakened the structure of the glass. So of course that one bullet is going to completely shatter it and completely just, you know, just make it into a whole bunch of little pieces. But it wasn't just that single bullet that did it. It is all of that beating that happened before any, any of that, the, that one single event happened. And so I think of that same thing. You can also think of a volcano. There's a lot of things going on in a volcano. And then just like that, it's gone. And, and especially with dealing with uh, World War II, there was a lot of things leading up to that. And starting from Hitler's childhood, that kind of just snowballed. And then, yes, was there probably just one thing that knocked him over and was like, I'm doing this? Yes. But I think it, it's definitely a play on words uh, when it comes to that. You can, I, I agree with Anthony. You can see this in a couple of different ways. So like the immediately when you were tell, saying about it, I was like, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. That's one way you can look at it. But also these are the people who woke up one day and was like, nah, I'm in Vape Poland. It's a Tuesday morning. I, I didn't have my latte, so screw it. You know what I mean? So like, it's, it's like, there's a lot leading up to it. But one day they were like, mm, it's pretty sunny out. Let me just invade Poland. I mean, I get this right because it's like the whole thing. You're having a really bad day and you just drop your keys when you're trying to get home and you just start crying. That has happened to me so many times or like, you know, situations where you're like, you, oh, I'm late to class, something, I, my hair's not great. And then your coffee order is wrong. And you're like, I'm not going to class. Like, this is a sign that I'm not supposed to be out of my bed right now. And I'm just done. Yeah. So it's not just that one thing that caused it. Yeah. No, I, I completely get that. That was just an interesting theory, you know, to think about with that, like how someone, how you could, we could just say like, yeah, this one thing is what caused the Holocaust. But I understand, yeah, at some point, you know, if you keep knocking something off, off of the table, there's an edge to it eventually that is going to come to that edge and it's going to fall off um so continuing this first of all i just want to give you this thought that we've talked about this a little bit nationalism so if we want to say anything about the nazi party is that they really liked nationalism okay 
And that's scary to think that that's still something that we're pushing to this day is this idea of like, oh, we are, we are German. We are this. And it's just because this is what I want. This is why I'm saying this. Nationalism to a lot of people, especially the Nazi party and people who supported the Nazi party meant that we are the superior everything. Like this is the superior person to us. We are the superior people. Therefore, if you have superiors, what do you also have to have? You have to have inferiors. And so it's only a matter of time before you start saying, hmm, someone should do something about those inferiors. I don't know what yet, but something should happen where we don't have to worry about them anymore. And there's a danger in this love of country that if we want to call it that, and it still happens to this day where it's like, oh, we want to protect the traditions and the values of these certain people, of our people, of my people, of my country. And then by doing that, you are completely saying that no other culture, no other society value has the same or as good of values as you do. You're putting, you're making a ranking without even trying to. Just wanted to put that out there. Um, and so the next idea I kind of want to talk about is how whenever there was a Bayther Ruth festival that happened, you know, and it was one during a time where um, Hitler what, attended, or no, I'm so sorry. I, well, actually, I believe it was, a, it was a situation where instead of Wagner, like um, memorabilia and all this stuff, it was replaced with, there was like Nazi symbols everywhere and um, of, of uh, like Mein Kampf was on display versus one of Wagner's books instead, right? So one thing I wanted to ask is what do you think about the idea that the Beirut Festival and Wagner himself influenced this level of dedication? Or I'm, I'm so sorry, that was, I'm thinking about something completely else. That was my bad. Um, but what, what do you think about the idea that like we now are using this festival for this person to promote this ideal? Like, I mean, it's, I don't know, something about that just felt wrong. I mean, it felt, it, it sounded right, but it felt wrong to me. Um, and, you know, it was just, it, it was an interesting thing to read within this. And like, what do you, I mean, what do you think about that? What do you think about them saying, okay, well now Hitler's here. Let's kind of put this <laughs> up here. I mean, was, was it just fans of it or were, you know, what, like, why, why do we think that it's come like that was a situation or what do you think people's reaction to it was? And how would you have felt, I guess, if you were attending a Beirut festival and you were going around and you saw swastikas everywhere. You saw mine come on display. And what is it turned into at this point? Well, I think that if the seed wasn't there in the first place, then it wouldn't have been there anyway. And I, and I mean, when Wagner was alive and the Beirut festival was going on, I think the seed was already there that it was anti-Jew. And so now that the Nazi party, it is finally the reign of the Nazi party, they're like, oh, well, there's prejudice already here. So now it's not like it's a new theory. Now we actually have a book that says, here it is right here. So it is nothing new. 
it is something that has always been at this festival. Just everybody was kind of hit on the covers with it. And so I'm pretty sure everyone that was attending the thing, they knew what was up because I'm pretty sure there was a lot of um, uh, very racist rhetoric before then anyway. Um, so it definitely wasn't a new concept to them. And I'm pretty sure those same people were there cheering on whoever and for whoever else. I, I, I can get with that. Like, he did have some not nice things to say about the Jewish culture and people. And he was very, like, proud of being German. And then Hitler just took it to an extreme. And it just, I, it just went off the cliff. It's the straw that brought the camel's back. But I would have felt like, I don't think Beirut Festival or whatever needs to be covered in swastikas. You know what I mean? But as Anthony said, if the seed was there, it's like if there's a crack in your foundation, it will break. If there's a goalie in soccer, you can still score. You know what I mean? There's a bunch of these things that you can say, but if the seed was there, then it's probably going to come to fruition. And I think, and yeah, I, I apologize for not having it exactly like I wanted to say at first. I was trying to figure out how to phrase it. But the, you know, what I was getting to was um, I had a theory that kind of came into my mind whenever I was reading this. And we, you know, we've talked about how it's Hitler is such a big admirer of Wagner, how he praised him and how he utilized all of his music, you know, during his political reign. Does that necessarily mean he was an admirer of it or was he a usurper? Did he see the reach that Wagner had at the time? Did he understand I could use this just like he has a reach. If I put my name to that, I go with it. How, how would we know the difference between that? Because you can, you can very much feign admiration but that turns into obsession sometimes an obsession usually it turns into I want to be said person um and it, it's a theory that I had never thought about and it was just some it when you know whenever I because I wrote Hitler festival down here next to Beirut festival and that's what I meant by that is that now we're seeing this thing that's supposed to be a haven for art and Wagner and everything be turned into this political festival where people are now feeling uncomfortable with it and you know things are being pushed politically um yeah what was was Hitler really a great admirer of Wagner or was he merely a usurper who saw the of Wagner his works and just wanted to go along for the ride like what do you think about that that's I don't think that's a viewpoint that's been maybe people have had the theory of, oh, well, he saw how the reach. And so he admired it and he used it. What do you think about the idea of it just being like, no, I'm just going to use this. I can, I can see where you're coming from. Uh, because I mean, it is true, but the reason why I don't think he was just a user was because he was talking about his uh, admiration and love for Wagner way before he started becoming the person for the, um, the third Reich, the, the Nazis and stuff. And the fact that he made all of his officers listen to it because he knew, like, I don't, I don't, I think he was a user, but I think he was more of an admirer. And then it went into the using part. 
because of what he made them do. Like if you just are using it, you're just using to recruit. He was already recruiting people because he was apparently a charismatic public speaker. Do we know this for true? I don't know because I wasn't alive. But I think he was more of an admirer that used some of the perks that came along with it. Yeah, um, on the same lines, I think he was definitely an admirer because we know that Hitler was a lover of arts. Um, and so he definitely loved the music of Wagner. Um, but I, I do think he also knew how big Wagner's music is and who it really, at the end of the day, resonated with. And again, I go back to the same thing I said earlier of uh, the episode, theme music. He knew he needed theme music for his new his newly formed party and what it meant or what he wanted it to represent and i and i really believe that hitler saw uh um through admiration that Wagner music would be the theme music for the nazi party and that is where they now become intertwined and that's where even now we cannot really separate it is because that's exactly what it is for so then near the end of it, there's something to reflect on that, you know, you guys and the audience may, you know, take some time to reflect on. Was Wagner really an agent of Nazism or was he a victim of it? Because, you know, if, if we're saying, all right, well, he actually did, uh, or, or Hitler admired the music and you know, we don't think he just used it for political reasons, you know, then, I mean, can we, can we say that that's Wagner's fault that Hitler chose to use, you know, the music for it now? And then it's, it can go back and say, well, but, you know, Wagner himself had some anti-Semitic thoughts and feelings and beliefs and everything, but then it takes this whole new notion of, okay, if we're saying that, you know, Hitler was not only just an admirer of it, but you know he did use it to some point. Then we, I mean, it's hard, right? And it's something that's it's why we're still playing it, I guess, because we haven't completely written it off, um, because they're still doing performances of it. We haven't come to the conclusion that yeah, we, we probably should stop playing this person's music. So it's more complicated then you know this he bad we stop music you know i think it's a little bit more than that and it sucks um <laughs> that we you know can just be like hey hey do you have these do you like what they're doing with this you do like it okay then we're not going to play your music again he's dead we can't ask him you know if he would have approved of the his music being used within the nazi party but it's just it's a mystery that will remain a mystery I think to all of us, but it's also, it's just something to ponder. It was just a nice theory to go, huh, I wonder, I wonder. But um, we hope you guys are, you know, enjoying the series. And again, we we always say this every episode, we're not here to read it to you. That's plagiarism. Um, If you want to go, if you want to read it, buy it. It's on Amazon or available on other platforms, probably out of Barnes and Nobles if they haven't closed down by now. And so, you know, order it utilize it and i love books i have that wasn't shade to books but it was it was just shade to people because we don't read anymore go read go buy the book anyway so we have one more episode um that we will be doing on this uh on this series and we will be at the end of it so it'll be a fun little kind of closing to the season in itself and we 
have a few more amazing episodes with some awesome guests coming on and um excited to have that and ha- excited for our uh, summer episodes which we will talk about later but we hope everyone stays safe hopefully you get your vaccine soon and your semis hey <laughs> and we will uh, we will talk to you guys next week bye thank you for being a part of our conversation you can learn more and reach out to us at relativepitchpodcast.com remember to subscribe to our listening platforms and follow us on our social media See you next time.